0: In 1611, the ship Discovery groaned back into the London harbor months after it had been presumed to be lost.
1: Captain Henry Hudson and his 22-man crew had been gone more than a year searching for the fabled Northwest Passage in Canada.
0: Crowds gathered on the docks to meet them, but the joy of their return was short-lived. As the weary, half-starved sailors emerged from the ship, It became apparent that something was wrong. The
1: captain and half the crew
0: were missing. Soon conflicting stories emerged. Some of the surviving sailors said the crew had mutinied. Others said the captain had gone mad. Either way, those who sided with the captain didn't make it home.
1: Several search parties set out over the next two years, combing the icy shores of what would later be called Hudson Bay. But no bodies or remains were ever found.
0: Hudson and his men were gone.
1: Welcome to Gone, a ParCast original. I'm Molly.
0: And I'm Richard. Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it.
1: You can find all episodes of Gone and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Gone for free on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Gone in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at Network.
0: And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you are listening. It really does help. Today we will be looking into the disappearance of Henry Hudson, an extremely skilled 17th century explorer who disappeared during a trip to Canada to find the Northwest Passage.
1: Along with Christopher Columbus, Henry Hudson is one of the best-known explorers in North American history.
0: His fame today is partly due to the sheer number of landmarks named for him. The Hudson Strait, the Hudson River, and the Hudson Bay, to list a few.
1: And yet, Hudson failed miserably at finding a northern route to Asia, not once, but four times. He lost control of his crew, and in 1611, he disappeared into the Arctic, never to be seen again. 400 years later, no one has solved the mystery of what happened to Hudson and his men.
0: This is particularly strange, because Hudson was an experienced explorer. He had the skills and experience to survive in the icy northern region, and he'd gotten out of sticky situations in the past.
1: Even more oddly, no remains of any shelter, bodies, or the crew's small boat were ever found, despite multiple experienced search parties combing the area for the next three years.
0: Several theories attempt to account for this mysterious absence. Today, we'll go through some of the original explanations, which posit that Hudson and his crew were welcomed by local Native Americans or provoked the nearby Algonquin people, resulting in their death. But first, let's take a look at what we know for certain about Henry Hudson.
1: In 16th century Europe, the spice trade was one of the most valuable economic ventures.
0: Spice was one of the most valuable imports in the European economy, and not just because it improved flavor, but food preservation at that point in history was fairly lacking spice was extremely valuable because it could be used to mask the taste of stale or rotten food. Growing demand for Asian spices by the end of the 16th century had swept through London and other major European cities. Whoever controlled the trade routes also controlled the biggest economic boom in European history.
1: As such, European monarchs and naval captains were all scrambling to find new, faster routes to Asia in order to gain an advantage in the spice trade. These rulers would grant exclusive charters to large trading companies, funding their expeditions to find these new routes. This essentially gave these early backers monopolies on international trade. The British and Dutch companies were some of the most well-funded and competitive with trade empires stretching from the East
0: Indies to Africa to the Caribbean. The British were known to have roughly 2,000 ships at sea at any given time. Some were military or transport vessels, but many of them were on spice routes. In fact, the British controlled half of all Asian European trade.
1: The British knew that finding a quicker route to Asia would make them even more powerful, and other countries knew that finding the route would allow them to compete with the British.
0: More, it would make the monarch and the company who funded the expedition a lot of money, likely with exclusive trade rights for decades to come. The fame, glory, and economic security for the commander was an attractive bonus.
1: Enter Henry Hudson, a 40-year-old commander who was looking to make a name for himself on the high seas.
0: Hudson was likely born around 1567, but there is almost nothing known about his life prior to taking on his first command in 1607 when he was 40. Trading vessels
1: don't just hand over a command to anyone, so it's a safe bet that Hudson spent most of his early life aboard ships, perhaps starting out as a cabin boy and working his way up the ranks for the next few decades, until he took command of his own ship for the Muscovy Company in England.
0: Forty was young for a man to be made captain, and so it was clear that Hudson had made a name for himself. On top of that, The route he was tasked with sailing was known to be difficult, further confirming Muscovy's confidence in Hudson's abilities as a sailor and a leader.
1: During this journey, Hudson established work methods that would characterize all his future explorations.
0: First, the crew left in the spring, hoping to avoid the icy conditions of the north during the warmer months.
1: Second, he brought his teenage son John with him, likely to train him in the family business.
0: And third, he hired a man named Robert Jewett, who would continue to work with Hudson and document their journeys. Jewett's official title, per Hudson's journals, was, The Master His Mate.
1: Hudson was excited as the ship set out in May of 1607, knowing that a successful trip would be excellent for his career. The ship made good time as they pushed north.
0: Favorable weather allowed them to explore far and wide. According to Jewett's journals, the crew also made note of an unexpected large whale population.
1: But late in the season, the water around the ship began to freeze as an icy winter set in. This led to a dangerous, potentially deadly scenario. A ship at that time could manage to push through icy water, albeit very, very slowly. The slowdown in travel meant that sailors would go through rations faster and risk running out of supplies before reaching their destination. And if the ice got worse, the ship could find itself stuck in place for weeks or even months waiting for a thaw. The sailors would be trapped in these freezing conditions with no real option but to wait for spring.
0: Given this potential danger, Hudson made the disappointing decision to turn back. But even then, he seemed to value his life and the lives of his crew over the mission. He did his best to keep spirits up since every sailor knew the truth. If conditions got bad enough, nothing could save them.
1: However, the crew was skilled and Hudson led them well. They escaped the ice and returned to London.
0: Hudson was disappointed to return without having found a passage to Asia, and he knew his investors wouldn't be satisfied unless he could offer them some kind of new trade opportunities out of his voyage.
1: Luckily, the whales that his men had spotted could prove to be a saving grace whale hunting was a lucrative business at that time and so when hudson returned he downplayed the failures of his expedition and emphasized that whale discovery instead
0: as he'd hoped his investors were pleased
1: they were so pleased in fact that they provided hudson with support to try and find the northeast passage again a
0: year later in 1608 However, the route he hoped to take proved elusive to chart and difficult to navigate. Maps at the time had a general idea of major coastal features, but ice tended to shift and maps in remote areas were less accurate.
1: Hudson made it as far as the Novaya Zemla archipelago north of Russia in the Arctic Circle, but was once again blocked from further travel by ice. Unfortunately, this time he had no new whale population to paint the trip as a good investment. The three-month long voyage was a failure.
0: But Hudson refused to be deterred from finding a northern passage to Asia, even if the British were less than happy with his lack of progress. Luckily
1: for Hudson, in 1609, he was able to convince the Dutch East India Company that it was worth funding another trip.
0: This was a bit of a shady deal, as it was considered controversial or even treasonous to work for more than one country as an explorer. Exploration was too closely tied to patriotism. Taking a mission from another country could be seen as working to undercut the interests of his native Britain.
1: But the Dutch were happy to have Hudson. He was too experienced an explorer for a potential investor to ignore.
0: They appointed him as Commander of the Half Moon and funded him to once again set sail in the spring for the icy Arctic waters north of Russia.
1: Hudson, a new mission in hand, was hopeful and determined. He set off for the North enthusiastically and pushed his men hard. But once again, his ship was blocked by impassable ice.
0: Hudson knew he was facing a difficult choice. If he went home empty-handed again, his career as a commander could very well be over. The British had already cut him off, after all. But he knew he couldn't push forward here with any chance of success or survival.
1: However, it was only June, barely into the sailing season. Hudson had heard rumors stirring that there might be a northern passage to the west through North America.
0: Finding nothing in North America couldn't be any more of a failure than finding nothing in Russia. And the weather was better, so Hudson turned his ship around and sailed across the Atlantic.
1: The half-moon reached Nova Scotia sometime in July of 1609. Europeans had been exploring North America since the early 1500s, and Jewett even noted they saw some Frenchmen in Maine, but these were few and far between. Hardly any explorers had seen this rich, lush land themselves.
0: Hudson and his men were astounded, taking copious notes about the native people, incredible plants, and animal populations. Still hoping to find a northwest passage, the crew headed for a river that would lead them inland.
1: Hudson reached the river in September of 1609 and began the arduous journey north.
0: Today, this river is called the Hudson River. Native Americans referred to it as Mahicanatuck, and it met the ocean at present-day New York Harbor, an as-yet unsettled area.
1: The crew soon realized that nature wasn't the only hostile force that was besieging the ship. They had previously made note of the local Native American population, They had hoped that the locals would leave them alone as they passed through the land. But now, archers from the local tribe began firing arrows at the ship from the shore.
0: Despite the dangers and the frequent attacks, Hudson refused to be deterred. He ordered his crew to push forward.
1: It was a risky call, and one he ended up paying for. Archers killed one of his crew and injured two more.
0: The men were undoubtedly spooked, but they'd come too far to turn back now. Hudson rallied them to the glory they would earn if they found the Northwest Passage. They made land to bury their dead colleague, then returned to the task at hand.
1: Hudson led his crew 150 miles north up the river, creating maps and excellent records of the natural resources there. The crew found an enormous beaver population that they planned to report back to Europe. Beavers, at the time, were in demand for their furs and skins. Regardless of whether or not they found the Northwest Passage, this was a much more successful trip than Hudson's previous efforts.
0: After weeks on the river, the crew reached the end of their journey somewhere near present-day Albany. Hudson was undoubtedly disappointed that this river had not led to Asia, but he was not going home empty-handed.
1: As winter conditions threatened to set in, Hudson made the call to return to the Netherlands.
0: Hudson made a bizarre call on the return journey when he ordered his ship to dock in the English port of Dartmouth to resupply.
1: Recall that Hudson was working on a commission from a Dutch company and was thus flying under a Dutch flag. He didn't even bother to take the flag down when he made port. He and all his men were promptly arrested once they docked.
0: Despite Hudson's employment agreement with the Dutch, the English authorities felt that they could charge Hudson with treason since he was an Englishman sailing under the flag of a competing nation.
1: The charges never amounted to anything, but Hudson was officially censured and barred from leaving England to complete his return journey to Holland. The English government finally released the Half Moon, which returned to Amsterdam without Hudson at the helm.
0: Hudson could have actually lucked out here, as the English government's action against him meant he never had to face his Dutch investors and answer for the failed journey. He set about finding new English investors for another journey.
1: By April of 1610, Hudson had struck a deal with the British government. His travel ban was lifted. So long as he only sailed under the British flag, Hudson was ready to set out on another voyage.
0: This one would be his last.
1: Coming up, we'll take a look at Hudson's final ill-fated attempt to find the Northwest Passage and subsequent disappearance. Now, back to the story.
0: By 1610, British explorer Henry Hudson had embarked on three voyages to find a northern passage to Asia via the waters north of Russia. While none of these missions were technically successful, he had a strong track record of finding valuable resources and reliably expanding navigation data for new regions. And now Hudson had a new idea. What if they looked for a northwest passage instead of a northeastern one?
1: So, in 1610, the British East India Company and the Muscovy Company joined together to back him for a new exploration attempt. They provided him with a ship called the Discovery, which had a surprising history of its own. It was one of three vessels used to found Jamestown in 1607 and had been previously employed by John Smith himself.
0: The failure of both Jamestown and the mission to find the Northwest Passage has led some people to believe the Discovery was cursed. Whether or not that was actually true, the Discovery was a solid seafaring ship.
1: This 38-foot boat was particularly popular for exploration because it could handle the open seas as well as the shallow waters of bays and rivers. It was equipped with both oars and sails, and stored supplies barge style, preventing it from sinking too low in the water.
0: The boat didn't have a hull the crew could retreat to, and was not equipped for harsh winter conditions. It was a summer ship.
1: But that shouldn't have been a problem, given the journey was only supposed to last through the summer.
0: But the journey did not go off as planned.
1: What follows is the trajectory of the trip as best as we can determine from the testimony of the sailors who made it home to England. Because we still don't know Hudson's fate, we can only hypothesize based on the surviving account.
0: In April of 1610, Henry Hudson set sail from London with a 22-man crew, which included his teenage son and his old colleague, Robert Jewett. As the trip began, spirits were high. Although Hudson's record of success wasn't stellar, he was known as a good captain who was kind to his crew. The funding was in place, the heading seemed solid. Everyone was banking on a successful trip.
1: However, as the crew progressed past Greenland into what's now called Canada's Hudson Strait, tensions began to mount. Sometime in August, four months after setting off from England, The crew discovered that the strait gave way to what is now known as the Hudson Bay. There was no passage through. The journey, it seemed, had been for nothing, and the crew began to feel the sting of disappointment.
0: Adding to the frustration was the fact that Hudson was oddly evasive, withholding plans from the crew and refusing to answer questions. Some began to suspect he was hiding something or that the expedition had other motives.
1: Worse, the ice was creeping in, and supplies were beginning to dwindle.
0: Hudson, who had been responsible and communicative on prior expeditions, drove his crew on without an explanation. Only to reach a dead end. Hudson had recklessly gambled that the weather would hold and that the bay would give way to a northwest passage. He was wrong on both counts. It was late fall by this time, and winter was coming in fast. The bay's surface was freezing over. The ship found itself at risk of being stuck in the ice.
1: Hudson realized his mistake and tried to keep the men calm as they struggled to carve a path back to the Atlantic before winter set in. But it was too late. Ice blocked the route entirely, and they were forced to spend the cold, dark winter in the Canadian
0: Arctic. They were stuck on the ship in the freezing conditions for at least six months, waiting for the ice to thaw. It's likely that they began to starve during this time, as they were already low on supplies when the ice set in.
1: Not much is known about the day-to-day drudgery of the crew's time stuck on the ice, But by June of 1611, nearly a full year after they'd first arrived in Canada, tensions between Hudson and his men were reaching a boiling point. Many of the crew members, including Robert Jewett, were furious with Hudson for his poor decisions and their horrific winter.
0: Despite Hudson's attempts to keep control, 16 crew members launched a mutiny, and the mutineers emerged victorious.
1: Their retribution for Hudson, their failed leader, was harsh. He and the eight crew members who had stayed loyal through the mutiny were abandoned on the ice, left behind on a small boat with no supplies.
0: Hudson sat with his son, a carpenter, and six others, dumbstruck as Discovery and the mutinous crew vanished over the horizon. Henry Hudson, master of the seas, had no boat. He was worse than helpless. He and his loyal crew members would have to wait for a rescue ship, which would most likely have to be dispatched from England. They were almost certainly looking at another long, cold winter in Canada. And this time, they had no shelter and no supplies. Meanwhile, Jewett and the others reached England about two months later in August or September of 1611. When Hudson's investors realized what had happened, they immediately moved to dispatch a rescue mission. However, there would be no point in sending help at that time of the year. It was already fall. Given that it took anywhere from two to three months to sail from England to the New World, any journey that went after Hudson wouldn't reach Canada until the dead of winter, when the ice would be impossible to navigate. A rescue mission would have to wait until the following summer.
1: So in May of 1612, search parties made it to Canada and attempted to locate the commander and crew.
0: But they found nothing. No bodies, no shelter, not even the remains of the small boat Hudson and his men were abandoned on.
1: In 1613, the search parties went out again, and again, they found no trace of the famed explorer.
0: Stranger still, both Muscovy and the British East India Trading Company called off the search.
1: And they never pressed charges against the mutinous crew, despite the fact that mutiny was considered a crime. Regardless of Hudson's fate, the men by all accounts should have been punished. This oversight was odd, given that Hudson was such an experienced and generally well-liked sailor. He had friends in high places who would have wanted to see justice served to the men who abandoned him. Some historians suspect foul play, but there are hardly any records to confirm or deny these theories.
0: Robert Jewett's journals provide the only first-hand accounts of what happened. They are, unfortunately, not very detailed. It's possible that Jewett intentionally kept things vague in order to protect himself against legal action as a mutineer. But it's also entirely likely that Jewett's brief journaling style led him to write the bare-bones facts of the event with little room left for embellishment or emotion.
1: From Jewett, we do know that Hudson and his eight men were abandoned in June and that they were given a small
0: boat. This is an important factor in the mystery, as summer would have been just starting, meaning conditions would have been hospitable for several months to come.
1: We know from Hudson's previous expeditions that he was resourceful, adaptable, and willing to do whatever it took to get his men home. He also had ample experience navigating the difficulties of winter
0: conditions. Furthermore, one of the abandoned men was the crew's carpenter it's likely that he would have been able to build shelter or patch their boat.
1: And yet, 400 years later, neither bones nor shelters have been found to indicate the crew was ever there.
0: So the question remains, how did nine experienced explorers just vanish? And what happened to them?
1: For 400 years, the only account of what happened came from the mutineers, an unfortunately unreliable group of narrators. In the absence of any other evidence, all people could do was speculate about the fate of Hudson, his son, and his small band of loyal men.
0: A number of flimsy theories emerged to explain their whereabouts.
1: The first and simplest of them was that the mutineers were much more vicious, Rather than leave Hudson and his loyal crewmen in a ship, they actually threw the wayward captain overboard and left them behind to drown.
0: However, if this had really happened, then at least one of the bodies surely would have been washed ashore at some point after the ice melted in the following summer.
1: The more common theory, which we've already discussed was that Jewett and the others really did abandon Hudson and his crew in a small boat or on the shores of the Hudson Bay, leaving them to face the elements.
0: But again, no material remains have ever been found to confirm or deny this theory. While it's possible that the bodies of Hudson and the rest may have been swept out to sea and lost forever, the wreckage of their boat should have turned up somewhere. Regardless, This course of action is considered most likely due to Jewett's journal and the mutiny practices of the time.
1: What happened next is the source of
0: countless debates. There's a line of thinking that proposes Hudson and his men actually survived for much longer than previously expected. This theory posits that the survivors built a shelter to wait for the rescue they knew was coming. It was standard practice to retrieve company employees, and Hudson would have known that even if they couldn't sail the Atlantic in their tiny boat, someone should have been coming for them. He would have stayed put. However,
1: something could have simply gone terribly wrong in the year between this point and when rescuers actually arrived.
0: But what could that be? If Hudson and his men had lived long enough to make a shelter in the Canadian wilderness, then some trace of them would have been left behind. It's odd that the search parties never found remains of shelter or bodies, especially with a cold winter, to preserve any physical remains.
1: Some take a more romantic approach and believe that Hudson and his men were absorbed by local Native American tribes and lived out their days in these communities, now hidden in plain sight in the gene pool of Canada.
0: Others insist that Hudson and his men survived the first summer only to be killed in conflict with Native Americans. Their bodies would have been buried or scattered.
1: People have argued over the fate of Hudson and his crew ever since they vanished 400 years ago. But it wasn't until the 1950s that substantial evidence ever came to light.
0: Enter the Hudson Stone. In
1: 1959, a construction crew was repaving Highway 17 near the Ottawa River.
0: Workers removed a number of stones from the bank as was routine. But one caught their eye.
1: Carved into the side of this stone, near the top, was the inscription, H.H. 1612, Captive.
0: H.H. Henry Hudson. And 1612 would have only been a year after he and his loyal crewmen were left behind by the mutineers on board the Discovery.
1: It looked like a tombstone or an inscription on a prison wall.
0: And that very well might have been what it was.
1: Coming up next, we'll take a look at the Hudson Stone and weigh in on the most likely fate of Hudson and his crew.
0: And now, back to our story.
1: In 1611, explorer Henry Hudson, his son, and seven of his crew were abandoned in the Canadian wilderness after a mutiny. Rescue ships didn't arrive until the following spring. By then, Hudson and every single one of his men were gone, vanished, it seemed, without a trace. A host of theories emerged purporting to explain their strange disappearance and the fact that they didn't leave behind a trace. Not a bone, not a living structure, nothing.
0: But none of the theories rested on any evidence, mostly because there was no evidence. But then, after nearly 350 years of false leads and dead ends, material evidence finally surfaced. In 1959, a crew of road workers repaving Highway 17 in the Ottawa Valley found a rock that said HH, 1612, captive.
1: It was presumed that it may have been a tombstone or a prison carving.
0: But it was significantly downriver from where Hudson and his men had been abandoned on the other side of difficult-to-navigate branching waters.
1: If this rock really had been carved by Hudson, How had it ended up 500 miles south of the bay? And what had happened to his remains? The records of another explorer, Samuel de Champlain, may provide the answer. Champlain was working in the northern U.S. and southern Canada region around the same time as Hudson's expeditions. In
0: 1613, two years after Hudson's disappearance, Champlain was traveling up the Ottawa River to present-day Hudson Bay, not knowing what had transpired there two years before.
1: Nicola DeVinu, a European man who had previously lived with the Algonquin people in northern Ottawa, was traveling with him.
0: One night, DeVinu told Champlain an odd story he'd heard during his time amongst the Algonquin. Sometime recently, white sailors had tried to steal food from a tribe along the river's shores. In return, the Native Americans had massacred the entire party except for a single youth.
1: This youth would have been about the age of Hudson's teenage son, John.
0: But Champlain wasn't thinking about the younger Hudson. That connection wouldn't be made until 1959 and the discovery of the Hudson Stone.
1: At the time, Champlain was simply shaken at the thought of the young, vulnerable captive and decided to look for the boy. However, his attempts amounted to nothing. The Native Americans who lived near the spot where the massacre was said to have taken place were hostile toward Champlain and his team.
0: Champlain couldn't get anywhere near the community without risking life and limb.
1: Champlain took the hint and abandoned his search. However, he and his team continued to hear stories about the white men who had been taken prisoner and killed by the local Algonquin tribe.
0: If these stories really were about Hudson and his men, how had they ended up so far south and imprisoned?
1: Timing is our most important clue. It was June 1611 when the group was abandoned. Weather would have been pleasant, and food would have been plentiful for the warm months.
0: At least one of the abandoned crewmen was reported to be a carpenter. They had a small boat. The rivers were melted and navigable in the pleasant weather. The men conceivably could have broken down their boat and used its parts to build a shelter. The wilderness during that season would have provided plenty of plant and animal life to sustain them.
1: It's possible, even likely, that the men headed inland a little in order to take shelter from the wind, find food, build shelter, and maybe even attempt to trade with Native Americans.
0: This worked for a time. Then the winters started to creep in. The men grew desperate for food. In a misguided attempt to survive, they tried to steal food from a local group of Algonquins.
1: The Algonquins captured them, likely without much of a fight. Hudson's crew had no weapons and were weak from hunger and exposure.
0: The Algonquins took the men prisoner and transported them south on the Huracana River system and eventually the Ottawa River.
1: Word then would have spread to other members of their community that they had white prisoners and, among them, a youth.
0: Then something happened. Either the Algonquin decided to kill their prisoners, or the toll of disease, stress, and the elements quickly killed off the survivors from the crew.
1: One survived for a time, John Hudson's son.
0: Accounts continued to surface about the mysterious white youth, some saying he integrated into Algonquin society, others saying he was tied up at camp along with the dogs.
1: The theory is appealing. It's supported by material evidence, the Hudson Stone, and accounts in both Native American oral tradition and Samuel de Champlain's records. The timeline makes sense, too.
0: But there's a major hole in this theory. The Hudson Stone was never professionally dated. this is strange, given that accurate dating of the carvings could close the book on this 400-year-old mystery. Why not date it? unless it was a fake. In fact, several historians believe the carving comes from the 1800s, not the 1600s.
1: Vandalism in stone, especially of Native American artifacts, was extremely common in the 1850s to the 1880s. Major ruins, such as the Casa Grande structure in central Arizona, bear damage and fake inscriptions from this era.
0: Furthermore, Some historians believe the HH wasn't actually Roman letters, but Native American carvings that happened to look like HH. The date was presumably added later as a reference to Hudson, and thus when the stone was discovered, it was erroneously linked to the missing explorer.
1: Since the stone was found by itself with no other objects in the area that seemed related to it, it's possible that it was broken off from a larger set of carvings.
0: Finally, there also has been no effort to find bodily remains in the area. Presumably, if the crew died there, they would have been buried nearby. Their bones or teeth may still be out there, buried in the dirt.
1: Until the area is properly searched, the mystery of what happened to Hudson and his crew will persist. So, what really happened?
0: While it's always possible the crew was simply thrown overboard and drowned, this is highly unlikely given Jewett's account of abandoning the crew with a boat. Plus,
1: Jewett wouldn't have wanted to give his crew any ideas about simply throwing him overboard if their opinion of their new leader changed.
0: In all likelihood, Hudson and the others were in fact given a boat and a chance to get to shore just as Jewett claimed in his journals.
1: As experienced sailors, they probably made it to shore.
0: They also probably encountered Native Americans, but it's unlikely they had any positive relations with the locals. Hudson had no history of peaceful interaction with Native Americans, and local groups were known to avoid Europeans.
1: Furthermore, if they had integrated with a local group, there would have been some sort of oral tradition documenting the foreigners' arrival. None exists.
0: It's much more likely that Hudson and his men's fates follow the Hudson Stone version of events. While the Hudson Stone itself may have been a fake, it easily could have been inspired by real stories still popular in the region hundreds of years later.
1: Furthermore, evidence suggests a reason for Hudson's strange behavior and the company's lack of good faith effort to locate the missing men.
0: Recently, historians increasingly believe that Hudson wasn't on a mission to find a Northwest Passage at all, but instead to find a new area for a lucrative port of trade, much like New York Harbor for private investors.
1: According to this theory, however, Hudson was sworn to secrecy by his backers.
0: This was why Hudson pushed so hard that winter, and why he wouldn't actually tell his men what he was looking for.
1: It also could have been part of why the men were angry enough to mutiny.
0: This could be why the companies were lax in their efforts to recover the crew. They could have been covering up the deal, which may not have been entirely legal.
1: Regardless of why Hudson was actually in Canada, he died a failure, abandoned by his crew, never having reached his goal.
0: And yet, countless landmarks and establishments still bear his name over 400 years later.
1: Henry Hudson's career was mired in failure and arrogance and his short-sighted obsession with finding a route through the bay that now bears his name led to his demise.
0: Although it's most likely that whatever remains of Hudson is hidden below the frozen waters of the Hudson Bay, so long as there is no conclusion to this particular mystery, there will still be those who wonder what befell the ill-fated explorer.
1: Given the four centuries since his disappearance, it's likely we will only ever be able to guess at what really happened to Hudson, his son, and his abandoned men.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Gone. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode.
1: You can find more episodes of Gone and all other Parcast Originals for free on Spotify.
0: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite Parcast Originals like Gone for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
1: To stream Gone on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Gone in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time.
0: Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found.
1: Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Anthony Valsic, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler, additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Travis Clark. This episode of Gone was written by Taylor Cleland and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner.